This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the, the voice, voice of Heart. Thank you, Stanley. The black of the berry, my black queen. I actually want to get one of those shirts that says Asada taught me. I've seen them oh, around a nice. lot. They're really good. We need to find out how we can order those. All right, guys. So as we introduced a few minutes ago, we have a very special guest in the building with us. His name is Dante Barry. I will give you a formal introduction. I will give him a formal introduction and also go over some of his uh, resume or credentials, as you will. Um, so he was recently named in Revolt TV's New Leaders of Social Justice. He is a grassroots organizer, a digital campaigner, and also the executive director of Million Hoodies Movement for Justice. So that means when you guys are in the streets or let's just say you're trying to pass through Union Square, but you can't because you see a big rally and you see a lot of things going on and you see um, issues that have been going on in black and brown communities for decades. But you're finally seeing people talk about it, especially on social media. And you're seeing this, uh, you're seeing it get a lot of attention in the news. It's because of people like Dante, who have dedicated their lives to social justice and making sure that you and I have civil rights. And it's a hard, thankless job. And I mean, also, I wanted to mention at the age of 17, Dante, he began organizing walkouts, demonstrations and speakouts and rallies while in high school, while his high school teachers unions fought to secure their contract. So, you know, welcome back. Welcome again to the show, Dante. Um, it seems like activism and social justice is like in your blood. If you started as a teenager and now we see you've moved on to become the executive director of million of the Million City Movement for Justice, which does great phenomenal work um, across the nation. Were you born this way? Like, did you wake <laughs> up like this? Did I wake up like that? That's a good question. No, no. Um, I um, as a as a younger person, my mother has always instilled, and it's Mother's Day today. Um, Shout happy out to mother, mom. Happy Mother's Day, mom. Um, but uh, as a as a younger person, my mom has always instilled in me uh, lessons of the civil rights movement. Uh, I grew up learning about the Black Panther Party and Huey Newton. Grew up learning about Ella Baker. Grew up learning about John Lewis and Baron Rustin. All these different figures. Um, and what and so the legacy of the civil rights movement. Black power movements have always been ingrained in me. Um, and um, I started organizing be- long before I even knew what organizing was. Um, so I, I organized, started in, in high school um, doing a, a big peace marching conference that we raised $17,000 as, as like 16-year-olds. Um, and that was my first, uh, first uh, actual in- ingrained involvement in organizing and I it was so powerful not only just for me but for seeing the community around me um, and I, I, I felt so good gr- about what I was able to do I want to do this for the rest of my life wow you said something so important you said that you were educated at home about some of the um, the civil rights leaders of the past who have paved the way for us probably because you don't hear enough about them in our educational system. And that's why it's so important for us to be aware and to educate further generations because then you have products like Dante and Stanley and Alyssa and myself. And you just looked at, looked like you wanted to say something. No, yes, you're right. Alyssa's mother told her about black history. Black <laughs> she did. <laughs> Alyssa. Uh, no. I actually taught myself about okay. those things because I was interested in them. Although I do come from a, a Jewish family. And so we've often talked about the struggles of people who have been historically uh you know, discriminated against Jewish people, black people. And so that actually has brought me a connection into the Black Lives Matter movement and has, uh, but even before I became involved in the movement, I, um, I very much studied a lot of black, 
black history. I took a whole class where we read Cornell West the entire semester, so I'm very okay. educated on these issues. Sounds fun. Team Michael Eric Dyson, son. Oh, God. Um, team Cornell West. Team Cornell West. Woo! We, we'll, talk, we'll talk about this offline. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to have this conversation off air. So uh, so speaking about um, the, the history and um, where we are now today in our lives, we all know that, we, you know, in our, our way, we all have some. We all have something to do when it comes to like the Black Lives Matter movement. But let's talk about this movement, especially for our listeners who are still, you know, a little out of touch with what it may be. It may not be on Twitter. Tell us how you have been able to be so affected using social media tools like Twitter and using a, something as simple as a hashtag to organize. Well, I, I want to actually start and give some some foundation to the Black Lives Matter political project. Um, so the hashtag, the political project, was actually founded by three black women, um, two who are queer, and one is a daughter of immigrant uh, Nigerian immigrants, um, Opal Tometi, uh, Alicia Garza, and Patrice Kohlers, and it was founded after the acquittal of George Zimmerman in 2013. Mm-hmm. And it started as a way to um, for black people, for black community, to say we we matter, and that our lives matter, that we value, that our value, our value is there, and so. So um, when Michael Brown was shot and killed in August um, in Ferguson, Missouri, um, and we saw the the resistance of black people in Ferguson, the uprising of in, in Ferguson, um, they immediately knew that this was this was it. Um, this was the movement that all of us have been living, like wanting to see in our lifetime. Um, and so this movement has uh, evolved into um, something that's more thinking about transformative. And we really want to get in deep in, in, into the work and really looking at the systemic issues that, that affect black people. Um, but also being able to call out, um, not just in terms of uh, policing, because this movement's not just about policing and law enforcement, particularly not only just about policing policing and law enforcement as it affects cis black men. But when we look at policing and we look at uh, uh, the system that's in place, it's also about state-sanctioned violence and that the violence and, and white, white supremacy, anti-black, uh, anti-black racism that's affecting black communities every single day. And whether that's through policing, but also through economic deprivation and being put out on the street and being homeless, um, that's, that's an issue of state-sponsored uh, violence. Um, so we're really looking at this movement is really looking at how, how do we get to um, transformative and radical change um, and really being able to call out white supremacy and anti-black racism for what it is. Exactly. And again, guys, if you're just joining us, we have Dante Barry in the studio with us. He is our dreamer and doer for the month of May. He is also the executive director of Million Hoodies Movement for Justice, which is a national racial racial justice network of 50,000 members founded to protect and empower young people of color from mass criminalization and gun violence. So, you know, we went through some of your history, started off as a teenager. You didn't even know you were an organizer. You were doing it before you had a name and a title for it. And and then you rose to the ranks of becoming the executive director of Millions Hoodie Movement for Justice. Why is this so important for groups like this, the Million Hoodies, to, to, to have um, a platform, to have a voice and to be taken seriously? Um, so we were founded, um, obviously, you would assume, um, in the wake of the murder of Trayvon Martin in 2012. And we were founded in part because of the media's failure to adequately report on the events leading to Trayvon's death and after his death. Um, and our issues, ha- our issue is fo- most so is focused around ending the mass criminalization of black and brown people. 
Um, so it's super, super important for us to t- be able to tell our stories and be able to challenge uh, hegemonic, racist, patriarchal, um, and capitalist uh, frames that pre- pre- prevent prevent black people from having dignity and justice in our lives. Um, and um, so it's super important for us to be really being able to build a black liberation movement, a black power movement, um, because this is really about fundamentally about power and the power that's not in black communities today. Um, and this is this has been a I want to also put put this in note that like this movement didn't, didn't just start. Right. This is a movement that has been a part of a long trajectory of resistance of black people in the United States and across the world. Um, and we've seen people all across the country and all across the world uh, resist. We have fo- black folks in, in Israel who are actually resisting against police brutality and state violence in Israel. So this this movement is transformative. And so it's super important to be able to have a platform because we're seeing that um, people all across this world that identify as black um, are being connected and are hearing our cries across the world. Stanley? Yeah, I, I feel kind of bad for saying this now because we're running out of time, but no, I, really, okay, I just really wanted to, um, Trayvon Martin, when that, when that first happened, I still had some very problematic ideologies about like what it meant to be African-American and was definitely one who hugged the respectability politics. And I want to just say one second, I had to give Selena a lot of props because it was her, it, she was the reason we covered Trayvon Martin and she was the reason so we covered early it So early in the case. Mm. We covered it a week after it happened because she was pushing for it. And I remember saying, and I'm embarrassed to say this now, oh, we don't know if she was guilty or not. Mm. Why would someone just do that? And and Selena has, you know, I've, I've, I've gotten some common sense in the last year and a half, but it was Selena who was really the one who's been, like, aggressively pushing that. I just, I just want to give you some props. For that. Oh, thank you, Stanley. That doesn't happen often. Um, <laughs> but I will take the credit. credit. Yes, Alyssa? <laughs> yeah, no, I just wanted to jump in. And, uh, am I on? All right. I just wanted to jump in and ask Dante. I mean, obviously, we know the police have been killing my, people in the minority communities for, you know, mm-hmm. y- decades, right? This is not, as we've mentioned, something new. How do you think the new technology, and obviously, aside from the obvious of now we have video sometimes to contradict what the police say, but how do you think new technology has been instrumental in helping to organize this new movement, at least from your perspective? Um, that's a that's a long-winded question, but I'll keep it short. I, I think that uh, it's a challenge and it's an oppor- opportunity. We also don't necessarily know the full benefits of how we use technology in order to not only protect ourselves, but to also organize. But it, it can also be used against us, right? Right. And and I, in, in the terms of the response to surveillance, um, body cameras to me particularly are are not the crux. They're not the big solution to it because who owns that data when once it has it? Correct. And we've seen all the high profile cases so far were not actually because of a body camera. They were because of a third party entered a third party who was there to ca- capture it on camera. Um, and so that was not just about the body camera itself. Um, so I think when we when we look at the use of technology, um, we need to be really, really intentional about how we use it and also strategic as well. I mean, do you think that there's in some ways while there's like, for example, when you use Twitter to announce where you're going to be, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're currently at Grand Central, but we're heading towards Bryant Park. Mm-hmm. On one hand, you could say, well, this is great. People can log in in real time and see where we are and where we're marching. On the other hand, if everybody can see it, then everybody can see it. And so the drawback is the police know where we're going next to. I mean, how do you see that as being both a shield and a sword? Um, 
And to not disclose too much, but I, I think that it could also be used as a, as a tactic, right? And I, I think that um, in terms of the organizing, um, and honestly, it could be staging like information that we are not actually not there, right? Right. Um, and it also could be used in the sense of of, of uh, being aware of like where where the next where the next location is in terms of the an, an action. Um, but you always have to be conscious that you're always going to be under surveillance, especially right. when you, when you're in a black resistance movement. Um, you're at high risk of being surveilled. I mean, listen, <laughs> that's just, that's you're just talking to somebody who thinks the NSA is surveilling yeah. everybody and probably but, is but, and definitely thinks that I'm on the specific, list. <laughs> there's a specific legacy of when you're black and you're involved in a black movement, there's specific high risk around surveillance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has always been the case. Um, we've seen it with Pro and J. Edgar Hoover who identified that the three points of the if we identify black messiah if we identify black national groups they're on a list to be surveilled and being taken out or in our in our infiltrated so i think we also just need to be very conscious of the history of the of that and also being aware of like how do we actually keep ourselves safe in the pro- in the process right, absolutely right right um so so Dante, i wanted to ask this um what are some of the advantages and challenges of being a young person and a millennial in the social justice movement right now? And especially as the, the EP of, um, excuse me, the executive director of Million Hoodies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's great because there's, fr- there's freshness to the movement. Um, and um, I was actually at an event where you were yesterday Woo-hoo. where someone um, on, on stage re- said that um, in, in terms of like one, I want to be we're very clear that this movement is intergenerational. And I think we tend to hear this, that this movement is not intergenerational and that there's a rift. But there are a lot of OGs and elders that have been on, on the front lines and been, been mentors to me and have added support in different ways. Um, but I, I think that um, it, it's always uh, it's always been a thing where young people and elders resist each other and and that that that's a that's a good tension is being able to provide a challenge and say no we need to do more or we need to do less or like being able to be that piece and that was that was the same thing that happened in the 60s where where you have john lewis and snick and the lcl SELC resisting in terms of and challenging each other so i think that's always it's always uh, important to recognize but i think um the the some of the the the, the great things that i've been able to build a community of mentors and and people um, like Dorian Warren, who's a contributor on MSNBC, and a number of other folks who have been have been really key allies in my growth as a as a leader. Wow, wow, wow! Um, unfortunately, we're heading towards the end mark here. But before we do, I have to ask you this question, and I ask it to all of our dreamers and doers because obviously you're doing so much for the movement. Um, you've been featured on everything from Al Jazeera to CNN to The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. Um, but I'm pretty sure you're dreaming to do so much more. And I don't know if it has to do with, with pushing some policy or, or seeing some legislation passed within your lifestyle, within your lifetime that you know you had a direct impact on. Uh, I know that would be mine. But what, what is it that you dream to do let's say five five years ten years from now well currently million hoodies is working on we have a police militarization initiative looking at uh militarized policing culture um so looking at swat raids um looking at uh militarized policing uh, technology and also militarized policing equipment so our our big our big piece right now is literally looking at how black and brown communities are are being raided and and terrorized by militarized policing practices and turning we're seeing what you saw in ferguson and seeing what you saw in baltimore to even seeing what you see here down the street right 
Um, so I think uh, for us is really being able to champion some uh, big pieces of uh, legislation and also being being able to facilitate a culture change around how we talk about militarized policing in this country. And where do you see yourself, particularly, let's say, 10, 20 years from now? Oh, that's a great question. I'll, I'll still be involved in this movement in some way. Uh, I won't be in this capacity um, at Million Hoodies. I definitely want to be able to transition leadership um, in, a, in the next few years or so um, because I don't want to be doing this in this role forever. Um, but and I think it's important for, for, for younger folks to be able to rise up in leadership. Um, but I, I do see myself uh, playing another role in, different, in a different way um, and really being able to see the full liberation of black people ever running maybe running for office we'll see about that Ooh, okay <laughs> so maybe we can vote for dante barry on uh, one of these days thank you so much dante for joining us here on let your voice be heard i just want to wrap it up by saying this you know dante's activism and his dedication to a social justice movement is something that i think that we all can relate to sometimes you know as a teenager as a child you're just geared towards something you're very passionate about and if that passion happens to help other people along the way then kudos to you follow that dream figure out how can I better myself? How can I use this God-given tool, this gift that, you know, I don't even know what to call it. How can I de- continue to develop it and evolve and then actually take that and use it to help other people? And you can do that. You can make it a lifestyle. You can make it a career choice. I think that we can all find inspiration from our dreamers, and especially Dante, even if you aren't in the, the social justice movement in any way or capacity, um, I mean, if you're listening to the show and you're not, I actually would be very, very surprised. But if, if you're not, I think that we still need to find something that we're passionate about and then use it to help other people. That's what I think this is all about when, it, when you say, like, what is the answer to life? It's about helping others. Um, are we wrapping up? Okay. And on that note, <laughs> we're wrapping up. But it was another great Sunday. Happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there. Continue to enjoy your Sunday. Hopefully, you'll be having brunch. I'll continue to be in Harlem. So if you see me, say hi. And we'll be back next Sunday right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on LYVBH Radio. Alyssa, pass me the whiskey. Sometimes I